The History of Literature podcast is a member of the Podglomerate Network and Lit Hub Radio. Hi, Ishmael. I just read for the first time Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen, and it was actually this amazing experience. I was sitting in the library, bag of chips by my side, and this guy, he just walked up to me, some random old dude, and he just sat down, totally enthralled, and he just said, you're reading Pride and the Prejudice? And he just started to go off and telling me about how no one, no young people, take and appreciate books with quality, books with meaning anymore. And he started to talk about how him and his wife met because she was carrying a stack of books home and she dropped one and it was Pride and Prejudice. He told me this beautiful love story and then he just got up and left. He said goodbye and I just thought that should be shared. She just thought that should be shared. That's an anonymous caller who dialed a number and left a message about a book that meant something to her. Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. How did this happen? How can you hear more of these? And would you like to leave a message like this yourself? What book would you choose? What would you say? And would you feel a little less lonely if you knew that someone was out there listening? We're going to discuss the ultimate book for people who love books. Today, on the History of Literature. Okay, here we go. Welcome to the podcast. Excellent stuff today. A brand new book for people who love literature. It's called Call Me Ishmael. Or actually, it's called The Call Me Ishmael Phone Book, an interactive guide to life-changing books. And we will have the authors, Stephanie Kent and Logan Smalley here to talk about it. These two had an epiphany. We'll hear all about that when they get here, and we're going to hear about how their project works, how the book is designed, and the amazing calls they have received, recorded, and made available to you, the dear listeners. Speaking of dear listeners, we have our own little book lover segment here, don't we? Some listener emails, only they are long form, and they're read by me. Let's hear one today and then go straight to our guests. Today's email is from Allie. Hi, Jack. It was February in London. I shifted uncomfortably in the Oxfam jacket, looping a scarf around my exposed neck. Closing my eyes, I leaned against the pole in front of the overground station. Only a month into my five, studying abroad, I was still disoriented. England was not at all what I thought it would be. I was, in my estimation, a rare species. An English major and an extrovert. A book lover and a fast-paced, always-thinking, crowded-room kind of gal. I was the night in with a hardback and a 92% E on Myers-Briggs. A geeky child armed with random trivia and plans to take on the world all thanks to literature. It trained me to be a lover and a fighter. 
You can imagine my surprise then that a childhood dream of studying in the literary homeland quickly dissolved when I tried to strike up a conversation with a stranger on the tube. Nobody told me that British people didn't like to talk, and certainly not about what they were reading. And if that wasn't bad enough, it was cold. Fifty degrees in London is somehow different from fifty degrees in California. I thought I would like the rain, but not only did I not like it, I sometimes didn't go outside if I knew it would be raining all day. And the sunsets. I mean, what kind of place gets dark at 3 p.m.? The social gloom was already bad enough. It seemed that Mother Nature wanted to encourage the isolation and boredom. What kind of adventure was this? Ten-year-old Allie was being let down more and more every day. With unfriendly and unliterary islanders, an incessant gray ceiling, and a counting-the-days app, I wallowed for the first month. The light had gone out. The symbolism did not escape me. And on that day, riding the overground and staring at a pale darkness at half-past four, I came across the history of literature. Jack, I cannot begin to tell you how much your podcast meant to me. The very first episode I listened to was the one on the runaway poets then the trials of Oscar Wilde, then the infamous overrated episode where I laughed out loud hard on the double-decker bus home. I even told my fellow passengers why when they stared. Don Quixote is the worst. Slowly, I was regaining myself, why I was here, why I chose to study in the greatest literary city in the world. I think you put a different city at number one, but I am going to have to disagree for obvious reasons. The dream didn't die. Ten-year-old Allie was still there. She was just buried under cultural superiority and blind idealism. People in other parts of the world do indeed live differently than I do. Londoners are more reserved. So what? Once I realized and accepted that, it brought a certain humility, and I felt the freedom to just be, to dance in the moment, to give it my attention and enjoy it with my experience abroad, to take whatever life gave me with open hands and not to try to make it anything else except true. Any experience should form me into a better, wiser, kinder person, and isn't that the point of literature, to do that molding? All my worlds were colliding, and it was beautiful. I listened to all of the podcasts within a few weeks. I had some friends come out and visit, and we spent twelve days roaming the snowy streets of London. I visited the Isle of Skye. In March, I flew to Florence. I took day trips by myself on the weekends to Oxford, Cambridge, and Bath, just arriving and letting the day grab hold of me. It was cleansing. I still remember walking around limestone buildings in Cambridge and listening to the Literary Adaptations episode. Your podcast was a companion during a pivotal moment in my life, and I am grateful to you for your hours of research and dedication to the cause of literature. Thank you for being my friend in England and now in San Diego, where I'm pursuing my graduate degree in English. 
My area of focus is ethical literary engagement and how literature should make us better individuals, and I have London and you to thank for that. If you and your family ever find yourself in Southern California, please feel free to say hello. If circumstances allow, we could spend a sunny afternoon consuming fresh fish and discussing great books. And if not, please know I will be a faithful listener as long as you keep going and always cheering you on from wherever life takes me. Gratefully indebted, Allie. P.S. As fate would have it, I would see a production of Much Ado About Nothing at the Old Globe in London, and that would be the only disagreement on your otherwise very accurate overrated list. It was superb. Wow. 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 What a wonderful email. Thank you, Allie. I would love to be back in Southern California, a.k.a. Eden. I wish I was there now. Thank you for the invitation. Now, I have a few comments. First of all, I think I chose Edinburgh, Scotland, as my number one. No apologies there, but London is good, too. I'm sure that was on our list. I can't remember where that landed. The funniest thing, in retrospect, is that New York City didn't make our list, and it's Mike's hometown. (laughs) Sorry, New York City. Didn't make the top ten best literary cities. I think Mike figured, I think I thought Mike would take it, he thought I would take it, and Maybe it just didn't measure up in any case. Maybe we like to zag when other people zig. In any case, I agree with you. London is a strong contender. And I have a little quibble with your postscript. I have zero objection to going to see one of Shakespeare's comedies. I think they are not overrated as a performance. I merely said you don't need to read them. Unless you're an actor or a scholar of the period, you've gone through all the histories and tragedies, you don't need to read the comedies. That's the secret. Read Lear, read Hamlet, read Othello, read Macbeth, read Romeo and Juliet, Julius Caesar, then read all those again. Read the history plays, then read those again. (laughs) Go see Much Much Ado About Nothing. Go see Comedy of Errors. Okay, I guess if you're going to see the plays, you can read the play first. If you're on your way to see them and you want to understand it better, get more of the jokes. And Twelfth Night is the exception. I think we pointed that out in the in the episode. But in general, I would say read the histories and the tragedies. And then read other things. And especially if you're at the Old Globe, I'd have to say, my younger son hates that place. And his hatred of it is kind of comical. We were groundlings when we were there, and he was tired and wanted to sit down. And and the staff came around and poked him with a stick. And that was it for him. He holds grudges. He will never, ever forget the old globe and his hatred for it. He still talks about it. But for most people, including myself, it's a great place. It's so much fun, and the plays there are great. I love Shakespeare when it's well done. There's nothing better. Okay, on to the praise for the email. You are well on your way, Allie, and I am very glad the podcast was a good companion in London and the Isle of Skye and Florence. Ah, those are some of my favorite places in the world. I hope my... Voice had a good time going there, since the rest of me can't, thanks to the quarantine, the pandemic. Ah, 
And I wish you all the best in your world travels and your literary adventures. Good luck to you. So, in the spirit of Allie, let's bring out our guests today, Stephanie Kent and Logan Smalley, who put together this wonderful book. If you're like Allie and you listen to all the episodes of the History of Literature, I kind of can't believe anyone did that in a few weeks. Wow. <laughs> That's really binge listening. But if you run out of episodes of the History of Literature, maybe you've staggered it out over five years and you're dry. Or you just find yourself in need of some other like-minded people who are not Jack Wilson. This book that they've put together will help you through. You can listen to people from all over talking about their favorite books. So let's take a quick break, then come back with Stephanie and Logan to hear all about the Call Me Ishmael phone book. Hey, grown-ups. The Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery, perfect for the whole family. Join the Cat in the Hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast. That is, until he gets a surprise visit to his Fishbowl podcast studio from the Cat in the Hat himself. And it becomes very clear that the cat has other plans for the podcast. And those plans are the opposite of quiet. The cat may be disruptive, but it turns out he's also a great help to get fish out of all kinds of predicaments. Bursting with music, silliness, and rhymes, the Cat in the Hat cast encourages us all to find fun that is funny in every episode. Sing along to new favorite songs, try your luck at titanic tongue twisters, have some fun with wondrous wordplay, and most importantly, bring your family along for all of the adventures in the Cat in the Hat cast. Follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or Wondery Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Okay, joining me now are Logan Smalley and Stephanie Kent, authors of the new book, The Call Me Ishmael Phone Book, an interactive guide to life-changing books. Logan Smalley is the founding director of TED's Youth and Education Initiative, TED-Ed, an award-winning initiative that serves millions of teachers and students every day. Logan has also been a filmmaker and a special education teacher. Stephanie Kent is a writer, multimedia producer, and former host of the Literary Radio Show on Anchor. Currently, she's the Special Projects Director on the Masters of Scale podcast, and she's worked on many other creative projects as well. Logan Smalley and Stephanie Kent, welcome to the History of Literature. Thanks Hello. for having us on. Okay, so let's start with the origin story of this book, The Moment in Greenwich Village When Epiphany Struck. Where were you in life? Uh, what were you doing? And what idea did you have? Five years ago, we were in the West Village in a literary bar that some people may know called the White Horse Tavern. Mm -hmm. It was at uh, Dylan Thomas's old haunt. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and um, we were sitting there having a pint and just kind of talking about um, literature and 
specifically talking about opening lines in literature. Mm. I have an I have mm-hmm. an obsession with those, and Steph shares the appreciation of those. And um, of course, the very notable first line of Herman Melville's Moby Dick came up. And for the first time ever, for whatever reason, we noticed uh, that there was a little bit of a play on words to be had there. Call me Ishmael. We imagined what if we gave Ishmael a real phone number and an answering machine and invited people around the world to leave messages about books they love. And so fast forward 48 hours, <laughs> we have given Ishmael a, a, a working phone number and an answering machine and invited our closest friends to call and leave messages about books they love. Oh, wow. So, okay. So you set it up. Did you immediately have it built for scale or was this kind of a tin can and a string solution at first? Yeah, it actually was kind of built for scale pretty quickly. And uh, I think that's actually to Logue's credit. He, I, I was more uh, just trying to get it up and put a few out there. And he was like, no, let's, let's get a system. This is going to be huge. <laughs> <laughs> oh, interesting. Okay, that's one of the things I was wondering. When you say you invited some friends, was this, did you post this on Facebook? Or did you have some kind of audience that you alerted to the possibility of calling this number? We sent it out to, you know, roughly 30 people, the folks who in our lives had given us great book recommendations over the years. And we believe all of them called back. It's a little hard to recognize exactly who's who's calling and when. Mm -hmm. Um, But the first set of stories were were enchanting. And we published them on our YouTube channel and a SoundCloud at the time and inside of the story. And keep in mind, these are anonymous voicemails about books that people love Mm -hmm. and and it prompted people to not only share what they loved about the book, but how the book actually impacted their lives. So the stories were quite personal, revealing, inspirational. Some of them were tragic. Some of them were funny. And um, as they as they came in, we published them and we included an invitation at the beginning and the end of each story for other people to call Ishmael's phone number and leave messages about books that they love. And that's how it started. And thousands of calls later, um, you know, someone might be even calling Ishmael right now. Yeah. And so just so people get a sense of it, I've tried this out uh, where you call a number, which is included in the Call Me Ishmael book. And then you just type in a four digit extension and you get to hear the stories uh, of other people. And we'll talk a little bit about the format of the book later, maybe after we hear a couple of these calls. But there's also a, a number you can call and leave a message. And is the prompt that you gave your friends, tell us a story about a book you love? Or was it what book should I read next? Or what was what were you asking them to talk about? It's so funny, because we started off and it's actually the one that's still on our mess our answering machine today is call and leave a message about a book you love and a story you've lived. Mm. And sort of interesting because that's the one that we started with and pe- and we noticed right away without other examples to listen to or any coaching at all, people started talking not just about whether or not they liked the book, but the actual impact that it had on their lives. People were telling us stories about how a book came into their life, who they chose to share it with next, something that physically happened in their life as they were reading this book. And um, that was one of the things that made us, our, our ears sort of perk up and just be like, well, this is interesting. Nobody really talks about books in this way that, you know, not only do you like it, did you not like it, what happens in it, but what does it actually mean to have a book become a part of your life? And um, 
And so that's been really interesting. But the funny thing about prompts and just sort of the invitation to call is as we've done the project, we've found that most people have a good story about a book. Mm. Some people are a little bit shy or need a little bit of like more direction. And so our book actually also includes these types of prompts. So it's things like call about the book that made you love reading, call about a book that you were forced to read in school, but ended up really loving and um, give a little bit more specific examples to help get people's uh, ideas flowing about what to talk about. Right. And to whom do the callers think they're speaking? That's a good question. Um, When you call the answering machine, and by the way, the number is 774-325-0503 if you want to call. (laughs) And it's so great that it's free. I mean, I'm still, I'm old enough that if this had been around when I was in college or something, we would have said, oh, it's a long distance call. You know, it's going to cost me money. And it would have been, that would have been a hurdle. Nowadays, it's uh, other than, does it work for international? I have a lot of international listeners. Would it work for them as well? Yes, it totally does. So um, basically, we're having this conversation right now over Skype, and we have a Skype line. So if you Skype Call Me Ishmael International um, and call that, it'll forward it, and you can type in any of the four-digit codes from there. Oh, wow. Okay, great. So I interrupted you. I'm sorry. Yes, you can call internationally, and we get lots of international calls. And who do people think they're talking to? When they um, when it goes straight to voicemail, the voice is a voice. Uh, <laughs> it might sound like a bunch of voices on this call. Spoiler alert. Uh, uh, but it says, hi, this is Ishmael. Leave me a message about a book you love and a story you lived and it, with a little bit more detail. And um, so when people leave a message, they 99% of the time address Ishmael, who of course is the, yeah. you know, the amazing narrator of, think, of Moby Dick. I think it's 100% of the time. And we didn't actually even <laughs> set it up that way. I think when we had sent it to a couple of friends, they right away started saying, hey, Ishmael, how's it going, man? And just sort of cut on. I think every call we get. Well, I yeah. guess I guess what I'm wondering is, do they think this is something other people are going to hear? Do they think they're just leaving a message into the void? Do they think they might win a prize or be selected for something? Or what? what are they, who are they aiming this at? Yeah, no prizes so far, but um, generally the way that people find out about the project is online. And so I think the assumption Mm. that it's going to be shared or could be shared is definitely there. But also um, in sort of a less uh, romantic thing, we also have on our message that by leaving a message, uh, you're agreeing to the terms and conditions on our website, which let you know that uh, that it can be shared. So no one, uh, I think, that we know of has called with the... uh, intent to just tell their story to Logan and I. But yeah, they've never addressed Logan or Stephanie. Um, sometimes they don't address Ishmael directly. But I, I think, you know, have you ever heard of the project called um, Post Secret? Hmm. Um, no. Where people, it's a postcard project where people mail in secrets hmm. and it's totally anonymous. And then those postcards are posted online. Um, and they're very, very uh, profound in every way, in every sense of the word. And so I, I like, we often get compared to the sort of bibliophile version of, of post secret. So these people, you know, these bibliophiles around the world naturally read a book that impacted their life and feel compelled to share it. And there's something really neat about the human voice. Um, Oh, uh, you know, in addition to writing, we certainly love book reviews as well, but there's something neat about the human voice and the way that inflects Mm. when it, trying to compel another person uh, out there in the the internet to 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 read and discover a new book and to share the joy that that book 
got them. Oh, and the the one last thing I'll say in regards to calling Ishmael, I mean, because this is a history of literature podcast, um, you know, there's a there's a a, a book critic, and I'm I'm going to fail to remember their name. Um, but they categorized Ishmael, the narrator of Moby Dick, as the fortuitous witness. Mm, right. I, I, once I discovered that characterization, it just stuck because Steph and I feel like every night and every weekend when we process these messages that are left for Ishmael, that we are a fortuitous witness uh, to these people's stories, these strangers that we'll never meet, but we somehow feel like we know <laughs> one and a half minutes later. Yeah. Right. And I, I think the fortuitous witness, there was something about the uh, convenience of having a narrator who just happened to be the only one to survive a shipwreck. And I'm wondering, uh, there must be times where you guys feel like you're in that capacity as well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I can tell you, I've been doing this podcast for about five years, and I am overwhelmed by the people who are out there looking to connect through literature. I get a lot of emails from people who like the podcast, and they've read something that they've wondered, they wonder if I've read it, or they hear me talk about a book, and they want to tell me where they were when they read that book. And it, it just, or they're urging me to cover their favorite author. And if I summarize the emails, most of them are basically, I love the podcast, you haven't done my favorite book yet. And what's great about Call Me Ishmael, the book, is it gives people a chance to say why they love their favorite book which I've found people love to do, and it lets other people connect with those people by hearing the enthusiasm that they have for that book. That's right. Totally. That's one of our favorite parts about the project is, you know, anyone who's like, well, you don't have my favorite book. We're like, yes, we want it. Call us. It contributed. And just this idea that our library is this ever-growing, ever-changing collection makes it feel really fresh and really exciting for us. Right. Okay. Well, let's hear a couple of calls uh, before we talk about the format of the book. Sounds good. I just wanted to mention the book The Elements by Theodore Gray. Um, it's a book that celebrates the periodic table with these beautiful, full-page, gorgeous images. And when I read this, I was just a little nerdy kid in sixth grade with next to no friends. But this book kind of showed me that you can really love something even if it's something like science, you can love something fully and kind of unequivocally just because it's so amazing and awesome. And that's kind of how I've defined the word nerd from now on. I've identified as a nerd because that, to me that just means loving something totally. I found all sorts of stuff that I love. And once you start loving something, you can kind of start loving yourself. And I guess you can start talking to other people about stuff that they love unequivocally and it ends up that you make a lot of friends through this process. And uh, last year, I was elected class president. So, yeah, that's it. Okay, The Elements by Theodore Gray. Okay, so that's definitely one of my favorite calls in our collection. Um, mm. I think almost all of us, right? Uh, I don't want to assume too much, but so many of us have seen that book somewhere at our school library, at the bookstore, in the library. It's a classic science book. Mm -hmm. And the story told that you just heard, I'm just going to say it, right? Like awesome nerdiness, yeah. just nerdiness <laughs> in the best sense of the word. Class president, you know, uh, just sharing his love of Theodore Gray and all the um, elements on the periodic table. I, I, I genuinely... The enthusiasm for that 
call and that like science and the periodic table makes me feel similar to when, you know, folks geek out about Lord of the Rings mm. or Dune or any of these like giant fandom books. Yeah. I feel like that this guy has the fandom for the periodic table <laughs> book is like my favorite thing. It's yeah. Fresh. A lot of these that I've listened to are about being recognized in some way. It was the feeling of it. It was when I learned it was okay to be me or, uh, mm-hmm. I felt connected to the main character, or this was the first time I read a book where the main character looked like me with brown hair and brown skin and brown eyes. And it seems like those books really resonate with people. And when they're asked to uh, recall their favorite book, they remember a real turning point in their own uh, sense of self or their sense of identity and the feeling that they weren't alone in the world. Mm. Absolutely. Definitely. And I don't know if we have time for another one, but the house on Mango Street, I think, Mm. is a wonderful example of that one. Yeah, let's hear that now. Hi, Ishmael. Um, I'm Ellie. I want to talk to you about a book called uh, The House on Mango Street. It's written by Sanjay Cisneros, and I love it to death. Um, The main character, Esperanza, is a Latina just like I am, and... um, I can relate to a lot of things that happened in her household and a lot of feelings that are shared by her and her family. And I think it's I think it's really cool to see someone, a protagonist especially, who's like me, who's similar to me. This girl doesn't have blonde hair or blue eyes. She's like me. She has brown hair, brown eyes. She worries about her shoes and looking silly in front of her family. She tries to dance with her uncle. And I love it. I love the way the book is written. It's so poetic. It's beautiful. The the passage where she says, you can never have too much sky. I look at the sky every day, and I think that. I think it's great that Missy Nettles can um, come up and show us uh, our own lives through something that she writes and feelings of, you know, not knowing where you're going to go, but knowing that you want to leave and then knowing that you have to come back. Because your roots are what bring you back, even if you don't want them to. And um, her conflicts with her dad over things that, you know, girls are supposed to do. I, I love it. And that book has changed my life. Because I finally know that I'm not alone. And that that happens to other people, especially in my culture, too. And I think it's just amazing. So, uh, it's, it's just as chance God, guys, uh. Read the house on Mango Street because it's a beauty. Thanks. So, do you have a sense of how many people have called and left messages like these? We do. We've had thousands of callers, about hundreds of books over the years. Mm. And did you always have in mind a book? Was that did you have that from the start that it would be fun to put this out as an actual uh, book, or did that come later? No, we did. I mean, we both love books about books. I'm not sure if that's an official genre, but we've got a pretty good collection of them. And um, of course, if you're a lover of literature, the idea of um, creating something in the shareable, beautiful format of a book is always sort of on your mind. Hmm. Um, So it went through the idea of having a Call Me Ishmael book went through a couple of different iterations. you know, all of which included a look at the vast collection of calls about the huge number of different types of books and genres and authors that we've gotten. But um, what we ended out with is sort of quirky, but feels really right to the project. Like we had to sort of 
we had the idea of creating a phone book and maybe I'll just set that up a little bit more, but um, mm -hmm. the Ishmael phone book is actually a replica of like a mid-century telephone directory. So if you imagine like the yellow pages, our book is full of real working phone numbers, listings that you can call from your cell phone and hear someone talk about a book that they love. And that ended up being feeling really true to the project just because we love transcripts. We type up the transcript of every call that we share. But since we got our first call, the thing that's felt really unique and really magical about the project is listening to somebody's voice, just knowing there's somebody mm. who's yeah. sharing a book that you love and you don't really know who they are or where they are or how old they are or what they look like, but you can kind of try and guess and get a picture in your mind by their accent or how high or low pitched their voices and um, that we were able to figure out a way to create an interactive book and keep all of those voices just feels really magical and exciting to us. Yeah. And so for people who uh, maybe aren't familiar with the Yellow Pages, if they're from another country or if they're under the age of, I don't know, 20 or something. Yeah. Uh, so basically, the White Pages were the listing where you would have every name in a town or a city, and those would all be uh, just listed straight out. And the back of your book here is works kind of in that fashion. So if people want to look up uh, the author or the title of a favorite book, they can find it easily that way. And then the uh, the bulk of the Yellow Pages was where people would find businesses like plumbers and piano tuners and things like that. And there you have it organized uh, by subject. And I, I ticked off a few here in the F section. There was family and fathers and fear and Florida and food. And so yeah. you can just sort of browse through and there are some ads. Uh, there are things ads for things like bookstores and and plays on words uh, or kind of joke ads like Mango Street Realty is in there or Ahab's Whale Tours or Wardrobes and More, Storage for Winter Clothes, Call Lewis. And, you know, part of the fun of it, uh, the first thing I did, let me tell you how I experienced the book. The first thing I did was I went to the index because I wanted to see which of my favorite authors and which of my favorite books were there. And then I, I listened to about 100 of those. Uh, I found that I just couldn't stop. And then I started uh, fatigue set in a little bit and I scrolled back to the I was looking at this online. I scrolled back to the ad section and then it was kind of fun to uh, see if I could figure out what the ad was going to take me to. So it had a little bit of an element of surprise there and it felt a little bit like a game, you know, to sort of guess, oh, I, I bet this one is about uh, Moby Dick or this one is about uh, the Chronicles of Narnia or something. But then I realized that there was a the element of surprise was there in all of them. And it's it's what you were talking about earlier, Stephanie, that even when you know what the book and the author is, there is still something really fun in hearing the voice of the person who's going to talk about it and to hear that it's someone you maybe didn't expect or you can't quite place or you, you can tell that it's uh, someone who's older, or someone who's younger, someone who's from a certain part of the country or or and then to hear the story that they have about that book is always a little bit of a surprise and so it becomes something i found it kind of hard to stop once i started and i've done it two or three times where each time i get a little bit of uh there's a little bit of a rush to call each of the messages and they're all they seem to all be about a minute or two long and so you can kind of just while away the hours listening to people talk about books i wish you could see us right now we're grinning ear to ear i got to say <laughs> 
the, <laughs> because it's such a high concept book, right? It's a phone book. We're, we're reviving the phone book. Yeah. Uh, and here it is. And it, we put in years of work on this and especially Stephanie, I got to say, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. This is really her, her brainchild. And, um, to hear someone, you're the first person we've heard that's really paged through it other than our publisher yeah. and our editor. And so that you're getting so much out of it. We've made our week. Yeah, it's so, so wonderful to hear you, you know, experiencing what we hoped you'd experience and more. And yeah, the literary adverts. Um, one, one thing I'll add is, um, you know, we did a list of independent bookstores per state as well as interviews with mm. book owners. Right. And so those will be swapping out. So it's actually an interactive living book. So uh, those who have it, We'll be updating the interviews on a rolling basis moving forward. And then finally, I think this might be of interest, is uh, literary landmarks. Um, so mixed in with the creative uh, fictitious adverts that you noted, um, mixed in with the uh, fictitious imaginative adverts that you noted, you'll see there's literary landmarks like uh, information about Edgar Allan Poe Museum in Baltimore mm, yep. or Richmond. <laughs> um, yeah. Robert Frost Trail, the James Baldwin House, Maya Angelou Park. So uh, thank you for, <laughs> for taking the time to, to binge our book. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was my pleasure. Okay, let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back. We'll listen to a few more of these, and then I'll have some more questions for our guests, uh, Logan Smalley and Stephanie Kent. Threw a wish in the well Don't ask me, I'll never tell I look to you as it fell And now you're in my way I traded my soul for a wish Pennies and dimes for a kiss I wasn't looking for this but now you're in my way Your stare was holding ripped jeans Skin was showing hot night Wind was blowing Where you think you're going, baby? Hey, I just met you And this is crazy But here's my number So call me maybe It's hard to look right At your baby But here's my number So call me until I was about 30. I don't have a good excuse, really, except to say that I guess it never came up. But then I started teaching English to high school students, and there it was on the curriculum sheet. 
when my students saw it on the syllabus, they moaned and groaned, ugh, it's going to be so long and boring. No way, I said. It's going to be awesome. But secretly, I did have some of the same concerns. Then I ultimately started reading it. And wow, part of it had to do with the translation I chose, the Fagel's version, which was so contemporary and relatable. But part of it was just the realization that this is the ultimate origin story. Of course, I knew it was the first journey, that it was this amazing first story by Homer. But to experience Odysseus's adventures on the page, the sirens, the cyclops, the bag of winds, was something else entirely. Oh, sure, Odysseus is cringeworthy at times with his gigantic hubris and his propensity to cheat. But at the end of the day, there's just this very simple and pure heart to the story. He's trying to get home. The chapter that's always going to stick with me is the one where he goes to Calypso's island. Calypso, this beautiful and powerful goddess, this amazing person, or should I say not person, goddess, she basically offers him godlike status forever. All he has to do is stay with her. Great offer. And yet all he can do is weep for his wife. He just wants to go home. He's basically cursed on this journey from the start. No hope of ever reaching his destination. Yet he never gives up. And though he makes some questionable choices on his journey, this is ultimately what makes the story a classic. In the end, I guess we're all searching for home, whatever that means. And some of us are willing to do just about anything to find it. That's all I've got. Thank you. Hi, uh, my name's Emily Rock, and I loved reading Rainbow so much that um, I would try to get out of school early so I could watch it. Um, the book I would have talked about at the end is pretty classic. It's The Velveteen Rabbit by Marjorie Williams. It's a book that I used to hide under my blankets and read with a flashlight, and it always made me cry at the end. Um, and I don't know why. It's the story of a boy who gets a rabbit for Christmas and kind of forgets about him, and then they sort of have this magical time together, and he gets sick and has to get rid of the rabbit, and it gets thrown away. Um, but through the sort of love that the little boy has given him, at the end he's given the gift of realness, and watches a boy from afar, and I don't know what made me weep about that as a kid, but I think as an adult, I always sort of looked for, I don't know, love, acceptance, and I feel like as a kid with, you know, no parents and um, very little love, I sort of loved the beauty of that, and it was sort of the thing I wanted most in life, someone to love me and and to feel real to somebody. Um, I love that message about that book. I still love that book. Um it's the best. I love the pictures. I love everything about it. Uh, but you don't have to take my word for it. Read it yourself. Hi, Ishmael. Um, I want to tell you about a graphic novel called American Born Chinese. It's by Jean Luen Yang, and I believe it was the first graphic novel to ever win a Prince Award which is really big, and I'm also fairly certain it's the first graphic novel to ever be nominated for a National Book Award. And while those accolades are meaningful in a lot of ways for those who make graphic novels and uh, read graphic novels, for that matter, the thing about this particular book is um, until, like, this book, it was really rare for me to – see 
a book that starred Chinese characters in a way that was very real and in a really respectful way that wasn't, I mean, Jim Lin Yang, he has actually said as National Ambassador for Young People's Literature that books should serve as both windows and mirrors. And for the longest time, I haven't, I, I couldn't find a mirror, certainly not in my childhood. So, you know, as a uh, like um, a woman in her 20s, 30s, it was really, really refreshing to finally see that happen and to see it make way for more stories that allow for Asian American characters. On top of it all, it's just so beautifully illustrated and it's so, it remarkably weaves three storylines so well together and I think it would introduce a lot of people to new mythology like the tale of the monkey king. It's pretty amazing and I mean, Gene is incredible. He's my favorite graphic novelist of all time and I'm really happy actually to leave this message and to talk about his book and how much it meant to me and how much it still means to me and how I'll always keep a cop- my copy of it that he autographed in some plastic trink wrap because that's how much I want to protect it and keep it forever. Okay. Well, thank you for listening, and I hope you get a chance to read American Born Chinese. Bye. Okay, so I just wanted, before we continue here, to emphasize the diversity of the books here, that it's not just classics, it's Matilda by Roald Dahl and The Water Dancer by Todd Nahisi Coates. It's, you've got children's books from The Mixed Up Files of Mrs. Basilie Frankenweiler, which is one of my favorites, The Little Prince is in here, uh, Bill Bryson, uh, D. Brown's Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee. And although uh, some of these are in here multiple times and you can kind of guess which ones. Uh, The Stranger by Camus and The Great Gatsby have a bunch of entries, but, you know, readers are also, or listeners are also going to find Yagiasi and Joan Didion and Tina Fey and Fernando Pessoa and Sylvia Plath, Dr. Seuss. It just, the list just goes on and on. Anthony Bourdain. um, It really is, it's hard to kind of categorize there's such a mix of graphic novels, children's books, contemporary book club favorites, uh, sports books. It just kind of <laughs> covers everything. Favorite surprising category reference books. We have yeah, right. Books. The dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> Multiple times the dictionary was in there. Okay. So what, I guess you you started getting to this a little bit, but what has the reception been so far? Maybe I'm the first, uh, the first person you're hearing from who's not an editor or someone associated with you, but what do you, what are you expecting for people to take from this? I mean, I, I, th- I think we have no expectations. We have many hopes, which are that, um, you know, maybe we can both answer this one. For me, it's that people discover a book that's going to be really meaningful and life-changing that just hasn't found its way to them yet. Like, mm. I love the serendipity of it, that, you know, it's this large-ish list of hundreds and hundreds of different books and uh, ways to experience literature. And, you know, you could certainly read it cover to cover, which I hope people will do, but you can also just sort of open it to a page and see what hops out at you and sort of let the universe bring an important book to you that way. So I think if one person finds a book that becomes really important to their lives because of this, that would be a great, yeah, a great day. Mm. I think 
I share in no expectations, only hopes, but uh, this is maybe a little quirky of an answer, but I have a, I have a genuine nostalgia for the actual phone book. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's, it was by my family dinner table. I, when I was little, used it to sit all the way up at my family dinner table. And, um, when I was in middle school, I probably underlined my crosstown crush. Uh, you know, when I looked up their phone number, I feel like I would love if someone left this book out on their coffee table or their nightstand or whatever in a similar fashion where it just became kind of a enchanted object through which you could connect in a unique way. And of course, with the old school phone book, it was connecting with strangers or businesses or friends. And, uh, you know what? This isn't that different. It's just mm-hmm. through a literary lens and you get to hear these amazing stories and feel a little more understood and a little less alone and discover a great book. And then the final hope I would add is that people take us up on the implicit offer to become a part of this book by leaving a message themselves for Ishmael. Mm. Well, I I've mentioned this before, but I do think people are kind of hungry for this. In a way, we're more connected than ever, thanks to social media, but I think people are searching for something a little more meaningful than cat videos and and a lot of the things that you find on on platforms like Facebook. This is much more personal and intimate, and yet it still has the the anonymity of it lets you give your your real thoughts and and your feelings. If you were, I don't know what your Facebook friends are like, but if I posted about my favorite book and how important it was to me, um, either <laughs> either I would get no response whatsoever, or I would get a bunch of cranks who would make fun of me. <laughs> and uh, you know, this lets people explore that side of themselves and and feel like they're connecting with other people who also love books. I think it would make a great gift. I don't usually say that, but we are. Are coming up on the holidays here. I'm sure your publisher is thinking about that. I, I, we agree, of course, that it's uh, it's certainly a, a wonderful sort of interactive, unending experience with books for the book lover in your life, sure. Yeah. And if you have a friend or a relative who's always urging you to read different things, I think you could buy them this book and, and they will find that they have a kin- kindred spirit or, or many kindred spirits out there. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I have a surprise bonus question for you. Ooh. All right, we like that. We okay. like that. Are you ready? Yes. <laughs> I always ask if if the guest is ready and so far they have all said yes. Uh, I'm not sure why I asked that. Uh, <laughs> building suspense. Okay, here we go. Call Me Ishmael is a runaway bestseller. You're approached by your favorite film director who is desperate to make it into a movie. He or she asks you to help develop the script and says, I'm thinking of two possible directions. One is we make a Nora Ephron-style romantic comedy where two lonely people start dialing into the system, listening to the messages, and end up falling in love and eventually finding each other. The other option is we make a Hitchcockian thriller where a devious criminal is leaving hints and clues for a detective through fake messages about books. In which direction would you like to take the script? (laughs) <laughs> wonderful question well there's two of us right so yeah you each get to you each get to pick stuff you go first oh i mean my eyes were like glazing with joy when you described the rom-com approach. yeah <laughs> but i have to say my some of my favorite calls are about that <laughs> Not about dark things, but I like some of the horror calls. Like I like the ones that are people are like, 
I need to talk to somebody about this book or else I don't know what I'm going to do. We have this one call about the House of Leaves mm. that mm-hmm. I to read because of this call for years. It was one of the first ones we got when we first started the project, but I haven't read it yet because he says it's so horrifying. It's the scariest thing he's ever read. And that stuck with me for years. Like I can't even bring myself to buy the book. I'm so scared of this book I've never read. So I'm going to have to go uh, Hitchcock. Oh man. Well, you go Hitchcock. I will full-throatedly endorse the (laughs) rom-com angle. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to do that. I think, uh, Earlier, we heard a call about Pride and Prejudice, and we understand how love can happen (laughs) across, you know, someone dropped a book in a library and it turned into a marriage. So I would also, at the risk of sounding pluggy, we had an award-winning filmmaker named Matthew Palmer volunteer to make a book trailer for us uh, on our YouTube channel, and he directed it. And what he did is he took these calls and he cast people to act out their mm, mini. Yeah. Gotta say, when you watch it, it kind of feels like that wonderful show, Modern Love. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Modern oh, Love. Right. So yep. Each little vignette. I would, so I, I'll, I'll one up you and say, not a movie, a series. Where each is a vignette of how a book creates, you know, a little bit more love in, in someone's life. Mm, beautiful. Okay, well, let's leave things there. Stephanie <laughs> Kent and Logan Smalley, thank you so much for joining me today on the History of Literature. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, that's going to do it for this episode of the History of Literature, the book for people who love books. It's perfect for the holidays, especially for that book lover in your life. Or to buy for yourself, if you are the book lover in your life. It's called The Call Me Ishmael Phone Book, an interactive guide to life-changing books. The authors are Stephanie Kent and Logan Smalley. My thanks to Stephanie and Logan for stopping by today. And to Allie, of course, who is roaming the planet, books in hand, and her extroverted personality just bursting at the seams. Thank you, Allie, for sending me such a wonderful email. We are a part of LitHub Radio and the Podglomerate Network, which you can find at www.thepodglomerate.com. You can find me on Twitter at TheJackWilson. And Mike is at LiteratureSC. I'm Jack Wilson. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.
the Podglomerate, a Sonic Universe.